that activated my asthma. Hello, and welcome to a very spooky episode of Weird Think About That. That's right, it's a Halloween special, and it just so happens to be episode number 13. In a change to the norm, me, my fellow players, and our judge will all be telling spooky stories this week that we have either found or written ourselves. As Joey's reading a story this week, he won't be choosing our winner, so the task of choosing the best story comes down to you. Shortly after this episode is released, there will be a Twitter poll where you can go on and vote for your favourite story from this episode. The poll will run for a week, so make sure to go on and vote as soon as you've heard the episode. And you can find that on our Twitter page, at WeirdThingPod. The power of Chris compels me to introduce my fellow storytellers. Children of the Corn. Nice. How are you doing, Chris? You alright? Yes, thank you. Good. And Chucky. Which is already spooky because it's the doll thing. <laughs> yeah, yo. And <laughs> fucking your phone dying. <laughs> and Joe's Marie's baby. Nice, I like which it. Which is a stretch, but it'll do. It's better. At least I got some wordplay. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Right. Be let's, thankful you're not uh, called the Exorcist. Then. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's get on with this. The with the episode then. So, is uh everyone feeling? Suitably spooky. A little bit. How was uh, so? Has everyone written their own, or has everyone found one online? Or I've pilfered, which is kind of spooky. You know, people pilfer coffins, uh, which might be a bit of foreshadowing about what I've got here. Um, a, a little poem from um, the 1700s okay. by um, uh, Thomas Hood. Yeah. Yeah, good. Very good. cultured. Thomas Hood Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> this guy stole from the poor and gave to the rich. Oh, he's so a bastard then. He is. But he wrote a good poem for me to read, so that's kind of cool. Uh, mine is based on a traditional Lancashire uh, fairy story. Well, folk story. Uh, based in my hometown of Ratcliffe. It's the one thing we've got, that and Danny Boyle. <laughs> and... Uh... What are you bringing, Joe? I found it in this week. I'm just doing an abridged version of The Monkey's Paw for anyone who doesn't, who hasn't already heard it. Because mm. I think most people know it from The Simpsons, but don't mm. actually know the original. So I thought I'd do that. I thought I'd enlighten our audience today. Great. And uh, I've written my own story today for you all. Um, Joe, you usually decide who goes first. So do you want to do them? Uh, we can do them in alphabetical order. Why not? Because I have to go last then, you do. Uh, That'd be you then first, chop. Okay. The night was cold and wet, but the fire burned brightly and the living room of the White's house was comfortable. Mr. White and his son Herbert were playing chess. I don't think he'll come tonight. The words died away on his lips as the gate banged loudly and heavy footsteps came towards the door. Mr. White hurried to the door and returned with a tall, heavy man. Sergeant Major Morris, he said, introducing his guest to Mrs. White and their son. The Sergeant Major took a chair by the fire and accepted a drink. At the third glass, his eyes got brighter and he began to talk of foreign lands. I would like to go to India myself, said old Mr. White. I would like to see those temples and fakers. What What was the story about a monkey's paw, Morris? Nothing that is worth hearing, said the soldier. To look at, it's just an ordinary paw, dried to a mummy. And what is special about it, asked Mr. White. An old fakir, a very holy man, put a spell on it so that three, so that three different people could each have three wishes from it, said Morris. Nobody spoke. Then Herbert broke the silence in the room. Did you make the three wishes? asked the soldier. I did, replied the soldier, and his glass tapped against his teeth. Has anybody else wished? asked the old lady. The first man had his three wishes, yes, was the answer. 
They don't know what the first two were, but the third was for death. That's how I got his paw. The tone was so serious that no one spoke for a while. Why are you keeping the paw then? asked the old man. It's no good to you anymore since you have no more wishes. I had some idea of selling it, said the soldier. But I don't think I will. It is responsible for enough trouble already. Besides, people don't want to buy it. Suddenly, he threw the paw into the fire. Old Mr. White immediately bent down and picked it up. I threw it on the fire, said Morris. If you keep it, don't hold me responsible for what happens. I won't, said the old man. But tell me, how do you do it? Just hold it in your right hand and wish aloud, said the Sergeant Major. But I am warning you, it is interfering with fate, and that's not good. White dropped his paw into his pocket, and no more was said about it. Mrs. White served supper, and the family sat and listened to some more stories about India until Morris said his goodbyes and left. Herbert turned to his father. What are you going to wish for? I don't know. It seems to me that I have everything that I want. I know you're worried about the £200 you owe in the house, said Herbert. Well then, said the old man holding up the paw in his right hand, I wish for £200. There was a loud noise from the piano, and the old man cried out. His wife and son ran to him. It moved, said the old man. As I made my wish, it twisted out of my hands like a snake. But I don't see £200, said Herbert as he picked up the monkey's paw from the floor. The white sat down again in front of the fire. But they did not speak, and soon went up to bed. In the morning, Herbert laughed at their fears. It's all nonsense, he said. Besides, even if you get the £200, how can they hurt you? After Herbert went to work, Mr and Mrs White continued to talk about the monkey's paw, as well about the Sergeant Major's other stories and his drinking habits. Suddenly, Mrs White stopped talking. She was watching a stranger moving around outside the house. He seemed to be trying to make up his mind to enter. Mrs White noticed that the stranger was well dressed. Finally, the man opened the gate and walked up to the house. Mrs. White opened the door. I came from Megan's company, he said at last. Is anything the matter? I they asked the old lady breathlessly. Herbert, what is it? I'm sorry, began the visitor. Is he hurt? asked Mrs. White. Badly hurt, said the visitor, but he is no longer in any pain. Thank God for that, said the old woman, and then she realised what he meant. She cried out and ran to her husband. He was caught in the machinery, the man said in a low voice. The company asked me to tell you and to express their sympathy. There was no reply. The old woman's face was white and the old man looked sick. As your son was a good worker, they want to give you some money. Mr. White rose to his feet. How much? He asked with a look of horror on his face. £200 was the answer. Mrs. White screamed, but the old man did not hear. He fell senseless to the floor. The old people buried their son. It was all over very quickly. Three days passed and nothing happened to make their hearts lighter. Sometimes they sat for hours without speaking. They slept badly, and often Mrs. White did not get any sleep at all. One night she awoke her husband. The monkey's paw, she cried wildly. Where is it? I just remembered it. Why didn't I think of it before? Why didn't you think of it? Why? What? I, I don't understand, said Mr. White. The other two wishes you used only one. Go down and get the paw and wish our boy alive again. The old man did not like the idea, but his wife dragged him to the hallway. He went down to the living room and found the paw, but he could only think of the way his son had looked as he lay dead. A cold sweat covered his face. It is foolish and wicked, he said. Wish, said his wife in a strong voice. He raised his hand. I wish my son alive again, he said, and the paw fell to the floor. Mr. White dropped weakly into a chair as the old woman went to the window and stood looking out. Nothing happened, except that the candle burned down. Finally, the old man went to bed, and his wife soon followed. They could not sleep, and so the old man went downstairs to get a candle. When he reached the bottom of the stairs, he suddenly heard a knock at the door. He stood motionless until the knock was repeated. Then he hurried up the stairs to the bedroom and closed the door behind him. The third knock was very loud. Mrs. White sat up in bed. It's Herbert, she screamed. 
I forgot, he was buried two miles away. I must open the door. Don't let him in, cried the old man, trembling. You're afraid of your own son, she cried. I'm going down. There was another knock, and another. The old woman hurried downstairs. Her husband called to her, but she did not turn back. Come and help me, she shouted from the hallway. I can't reach the bolt at the top. There was no answer. Her husband was on his hands and knees on the floor. He was trying to find the paw. He wanted to find it before the thing that was outside could get in. He heard his wife put a chair near the door. He heard the bolt creak as it moved slowly back. At the same moment, he found the monkey's paw and made his third and last wish. The knocking stopped suddenly. He heard his wife open the door. A loud cry of disappointment gave him the courage to run down and stand at her side. The street lamp shone on a quiet and deserted road. Women, am I right? <laughs> Jeez. Totally never seen Pet Cemetery, has she? No. <laughs> Would they have to pay for two funerals? <laughs> yeah, that's a point, actually, yeah. <laughs> like, if he was, like, then dead again at the door, he's like, oh, shit, we'll have to pay for him to get buried again. Oh. No, I'd, I'd be saying, look, he didn't do this right. He's turned up on my fucking door. <laughs> if you were meant to have buried him, yeah. Oh. yeah you just, like, it's like when you get yeah, your car remoteed, if it fails, then put it through again. You get it free, don't you? That's so it. it's like oh. if, you, if they bury him and, he, and they reanimate themselves and get and um, become alive again, then oh, you, get you the just be like, get onto the funeral directors and stop fly tipping bodies on my porch, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's illegal. Oh, uh, I mean, if I was to wish for money, I wouldn't wish for the exact amount that's that I owe. A, a, <laughs> if you could wish mistake. for any amount of money, I would just wish for. Also, life is cheap back then, wasn't it? 200 notes. Oh, yeah. Mm. Before the health and safety executive, it was yeah. just like a goodwill thing, wasn't it? Yeah. But yeah, you didn't think, like, 250. Exactly, so. yeah. I'll get myself some, yeah. I want some walking around money as well. Yeah. I love after being told his son's dead, his first reaction was, how much money am I getting? <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. How much? <laughs> what are we talking? Cold, hard cash. I want a turkey sandwich. <laughs> turkey's a little dry. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Is that thing about they, they were warned, and yet white people. The two hundred pound contained potassium benzoate. <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> Can I go now? <laughs> More Simpsons references in every podcast. Yeah. Uh, who's next alphabetically? That would be you, Chris. Yes. Okay. So, as I say, this is a poem or sort of short story that I wrote myself. It was inspired by a pretty weird dream that I had. But, um, yeah, there it goes. I lie in bed and listen to the never-ending rain as wind blows streaks of water across my window pane. I look outside into the night, but it's much too dark to see. Nothing more than shadows and gloom beneath, between the thick of trees. This old house creaks and groans as the wind strikes up a gale. Something moves between the trees, something old and pale. I drop back quickly into bed and pull the sheets up over my face. My breathing starts to quicken and my heartbeat starts to race. The wind picks up again, this time louder than before, as rusty hinges start to shake, rattling the door. A sound of scratching comes from around the letterbox. It could be blowing branches or maybe just a fox. The flap that's on the letterbox lets out a metal squeak. I'm too uneasy to sleep now, I have to take a peek. Quietly, I creep out of bed and move across the floor. I crouch down by the top of the stairs and stare down at the door. My heart is pounding out of my chest. I know my face is pale at the sight of fingers through the door with rotten fingernails. I let out a startled noise. I can't believe my eyes when the fingers through the letterbox start to grow in size. Longer, 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 longer the fingers hit the floor. Still attached to the ghostly old man stood outside the door. The cold and bone-white fingers start to sliver down the hall, 
whacking nails scraping across the floor and up the wall. My blood runs cold, I cannot speak, my arms have goosebumped hairs as the ever-growing fingers start crawling up the stairs. Standing up on trembling legs, I turn around and flee, the rotting fingers getting faster chasing after me. But I'm too slow, a finger wraps around me like a vine, the ghostly man outside the house shouts, give me back what's mine. Pinned down by nine cold dead fingers held against the ground, the tenth finger finds its way into the pocket of my gown. Pulling out an ancient coin, I found this very day, while walking through the graveyard, upon the ground it lay. Claiming what the dead man had come to my house to seek, the fingers start retracting and down the stairs retreat. Slipping back through the letterbox, it closes with a squeal. I breathe heavily, sat on the floor. Was that even real? The man is gone, into the night, but the smell of rot lingers. I hope to never again see the dead man with long fingers. That, that was that was pretty good. One thing that I don't understand, though, mm. just to give you notes uh, before you uh, take <laughs> off on this literary career of yours, is why would he have the coin in his gown unless he was walking in the cemetery in his in the same gown? Well, I don't know. I guess he bought it home, and then he was like, "Oh, this is cool. I'll just keep it on my person." And then at all times, maybe he took it down to dinner to show his mum and dad, and then put it in his like jammer pants, and then went upstairs again. I want to know what, how much cheese you're eating to have dreams like that. that yeah, that is some... <laughs> what was quite weird dream. was I w- it wasn't like a bad dream. When I was dreaming it, I was sort of narrating it in rhyming couplets as, it, as, <laughs> as I'd written it. And a couple of the lines from that are what were in my head as I woke up from the dream. And I knew I'd just said them in the dream. It's it quite weird. But... So like Keith Richards woke up and penned satisfaction in the middle of the night. <laughs> and you're like, Captain Longfingers is going to do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, John Lennon got imagine. You got that. <laughs> <laughs> It's no justice, is there? Yeah. Chucky. Yeah. All right. So this is, um, I believe to call it a ballad um, called Mary's Ghost. I'm going to try my best here. So. That's all we ask of you. Well, all right. Let's just about to go then. Didn't interrupt you, did he? No. It no. <laughs> um, in the middle of the night to sleep young William tried when Mary's ghost came stealing in and stood at his bedside. O William dear, O William dear, my rest eternal ceases. Alas, my everlasting peace is broken into pieces. I thought the last of all my cares would end with my last minute. But though I went to my long home, I didn't stay long in it. The body snatchers, they have come and made a snatch at me. It's very hard, them kind of men won't let a body be. You thought that I was buried deep, quite decent like and cherry. But from her grave in Mary Bone, They've come and boned your Mary. The arm that used to take your arm is took to Dr. Vise, and both my legs are gone to walk the hospital at Guy's. I vowed that you should have my hand, but fate gives us denial. You'll find it there at Dr. Bell's, in spirits and a vial. As for my feet, the little feet you used to call so pretty, there's one I know in Bedford Row, and a t'other in the city. I can't tell where my head is gone, but Dr. Carp you can, as for my trunk, it's all packed up to go by Pickford's van. I wished you'd go to Mr. P and save me such a ride. I don't half like the outside place they've took for my inside. The cock it crows, I must be gone. My William, we must part. But I'll be yours in death although Sir Astley has my heart. Don't go to weep upon my grave and think that there I be. They haven't left an atom there of my anatomy. It's, it's got everything. It's got rhymes. Even though some of the words just rhyme with themselves. Like, peace and peace. 
Yeah, yeah. but that's um, like homophones, isn't it? Like uh, at piece and a piece of something at the same, but spelt differently. Yeah, yeah but um, is it homophones? Criticizing your own story, you don't have to do that. Well, 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 I didn't write it, so I can <laughs> give um, Thomas Hood as many notes as he wants because he's, he's long gone now. But yeah, I, I found it pretty cool. Um, the tale of so she's been bones. yeah. What are they doing with other body parts? So some foot fetish guy's got one of the feet. Yeah, well, I, I think it's um, it's similar to that story, isn't it? Where um, the guy kind of went around. Well, he ended up killing people, didn't he, to get body parts for medical research uh, and stuff yeah, like yeah, this. Yeah. It was Burke and Hare originally, Burke and wasn't yeah. it? Is it, a Victorian, is it a Victorian era poem? Well, it's seventy late seventeen hundred. So right, yeah, yeah, that, but yeah, they were they were pretty preoccupied with death, weren't they? It's like didn't Queen Victoria walk around with like Albert's part of Albert? Yeah, we all know we all know which part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just hitting people over the head. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, she wore black for like a year. Yeah, but and, I, I think I genuinely well, think she had. Life, I think it was like. the rest of her life. Yeah, she she genuinely had. I can't. I say genuinely again by the the lack of detail. I can't be a hundred percent sure of it, but I'm sure she had part of his body part, possibly his head, like preserved and kept like in a purse or something and she would take it with her and stuff it was like oh, it's, really it's Prince Albert really with it. yeah he's Prince Albert yeah mm-hmm. really fucking pretty yeah the, the Victorians were quite mm-hmm. deaf obsessed have you ever heard of um, Memento Mori yeah I know I must die is it's it? oh, um, remember you must die yeah so what, what they used to do is because getting your photograph was very um, expensive. expensive back in the day um, they'd sometimes have like photographs with a dead relative in the photo so they'd all sit around and like on a couch, and they'd prop up the the, the corpse, the corpse in the middle Jesus. of it. Yeah. And um, you can you can Google some of the photos, and it, no, what, what's you. really weird about it is because um, the exposure was so long on the old photographs, mm. all the living people on the photographs are just slightly blurred or blurred bits of the face, and then the dead body in there it's is like just crystal really clear, right. and it's freaky. It's, I recommend looking it up if you. Uh, if you want to freak yourself out a bit, but well, there's, there's, they didn't. It wasn't just for a life. It was well, they would take pictures of dead relatives. There's quite a famous mm. one of, of like two dead children. Yeah, in like going to church outfits and oh. like they're clearly just yeah. It's bizarre, but but it's weird because we always we also think of Victorians as very uh, somber folk, but it's again because photography was so expensive, you had to just be really serious in the photos because it was like an occasion. Whereas really, like, there's a few pictures of them like smiling and laughing and stuff, and yes. they seem a lot more like sort of human. And we've, less, de- uh... we've devalued photography. Yes, through, through the likes of Instagram and. I know he's a sort of Victorian. I've just took a picture of my uh, nine hundred pound salad. Steak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my salad for Instagram. They did shit on you. Was there anybody dead in it? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody was. There was a thing of keeping dead mementos around your bones and and like finger bones and things like that. Off. Yeah. Um, isn't the, the isn't the oh like the candle of invisibility thing where it's a, a dead man's hand that you think and if you burn it, it you can't be I'm sure I, 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 I'm sure there is a thing of it was it was it's a thing called I think it's called like a dead man's hand and you had to have right. got a, a criminal's I think it was right hand after they'd been hung and then perform all this hocus pocus on it but when once you were holding it you would be invisible to and could commit crimes. Like, ah, oh, right, wow. okay. Very well, similar to like the Viking pants of uh, coin like thing. Like <laughs> the pants when, of coin. The pants of isn't they're not called that, but it's yeah, you had to get if someone died, you had to get their permission to flay their skin off and make it into like trousers. Wow. Oh god, and, imagine that conversation. Yeah. I know I know you I know you're dying, but 
Also, I think, it, I think it had to be a man because you have to, like, while you're doing the dancing around the, in the moonlight thing, put a coin in, like, the ball sack. In the, sc- <laughs> in the scroll sack, yeah. <laughs> but, oh, so it's not um, just the leg skin that's taking the, the whole, the, the, magic, the, whole the, the magic of it was that there would always be a coin in the ball sack. Oh, that is quite magic. <laughs> but imagine that, though. You're going down, like, the Ferrari dealership and you're like, hang on, one, two, <laughs> we'll be a coin purse, literally. <laughs> Literal coin purse, yeah. Uh, it's odd that like three of us have chosen to do poems, like tiny little Edgar Allan Poe's that we are. <laughs> um, mine is the the tale from, from the the tower where this that this happened is still there in Ratcliffe, um, and it is the tale of Fair Ellen of Ratcliffe. It's a poem. It's a medieval poem, so it's all it's all ease and stuff and stuff as well. So yeah, there was a lord of worthy fame, and a hunting he would ride, attended by a noble train of gentry by his side. And while he did in chase remain, to see both sport and play, his lady went, and she did feign upon the church to pray. This lord, he had a daughter dear, whose beauty shone so bright. She was beloved both far and near, of many a lord and knight. Fair Ellen was this damsel called, a creature fair was she. She was her father's only joy, as you shall after see. There ever, her cruel stepmother did envy her so much, Day by day she sought her life, her malice it was such. She bargained with the master cook to take her life away, and taking of her daughter's book, she thus to her did say, Go home, sweet daughter, I thee pray, go hasten presently, and tell upon the master cook these words I tell to thee, and bid him dress to dinner straight that fair and milk white doe, that in the park doth shine so bright, that none so fair to show. Fair Ellen, fearing not no harm, obeyed her mother's will, and pleasantly she hastened home, her pleasure to fulfil. She straight into the kitchen went, her message for to tell, and there she spied the master cook, who did with malice swell. Now master cook, it must be so, do that which I thee tell. You needs must dress the milk-white dough, which you do know full well. Then straight his cruel bloody hands he on the lady laid, who quivering with shaking stands, while thus to her he said, Thou art the doe that I must dress, see here behold my knife, for it is pointed presently to rid thee of thy life. Oh then, cried out the scullery boy, more characters, (laughs) as loud as loud might be, and save her life, good master cook, and make your pies of me. For pity's sake do not destroy my lady with your knife, you know she is her father's joy, for God's sake spare her life. I will not save her life, he said, nor make my pies of thee. Yet if thou dost this deed beware, thy butcher I will be. Now when this lord he did come home, for to sit down and eat, he called for his daughter dear to come and carve his meat. Now sit you down, his lady said, oh sit you down to eat, and to your nunnery she has gone, your daughter dare forget. <laughs> Then solemnly he made a vow before the company that he would neither eat nor drink until her he did see. And then spoke up the, the scullery boy, and with a loud, house, loud voice high, If now you will your daughter see, my lord cut open that pie, wherein her flesh is minced so small and parched all in the fire, all caused by her stepmother, who did her death desire. And cursed be the master cook, Oh, cursed may he be. I proffered him my own heart's blood from death to set her free. Then all in black this lord did mourn, 
and for his daughter's sake, he judged her cruel stepmother to be burnt at a stake. Likewise, he judged the master cook in boiling lead to stand, and made the simple scullery boy the heir of all his land. It's beautiful. It's like the earliest case of simping. My mum told me that story when I was about seven. (laughs) So this is a true, well, as far as we're aware, true story. Allegedly based on true things that happened. I mean, Ratcliffe Tower has been there since medieval times. So. What a way to tell a guy his daughter's dead. Oh, Where's yeah, my daughter? Oh, yeah, eat, um, yeah, you might in, want to cut up in, in the time. Get that ginsters, buddy. Knock yourself out. <laughs> but I don't understand the what's the what's the motivation for the for the master cook? He's like the stepmother's so like killed the daughter. He's in cahoots with the stepmother. Yes, mother. yes. Um, the bit I, the bit where it falls apart for me is where he goes. I'm going to kill her, and if you tell anyone, I'll kill you too. And he's gone. Well, you've, I've already just said kill me instead of her. So <laughs> yeah. I don't have much uh, what, to what, for what, it. What's, what's my stake in this, really? And he kills her, and he's still alive. He ends up being the heir. Yeah. So, so anything, he never... I think maybe that, I he think, masterminded I think, the I was going to say, I think he's the fucking brains of the opera organisation. I think he's, uh, he's set all this He's profited the most, roses, yeah. yeah. The, other, the other two got burnt at the stake and boiled in lead. Boiled so. in lead. Yeah. Oh, uh, mate. Literally the only thing we've got. Oh, that and the Hag of Radcliffe, yeah. But <laughs> you've so, got plenty of that. Is that the Mary who goes on the shops on Sunday? And no, no, shouts that's, at pigeons. That's, that's between here and here and Bury. There used to be uh, a hag that would appear to scare off travellers in about seventeen hundred and something. Yeah, mm. it's in the papers at the time. I think it was just to stop people walking the roads at night. They yeah. make up shit like. Well, I hope you enjoyed our spooky episode. As I say, the. Uh, Winner will be crowned depending on who you all vote for. So if you go on our Twitter at Weird Thing Pod and vote for your favourite story this episode, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> see you next time. Weird thing about that. Got free zone. <laughs>